This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What do we treat ourselves to? Clothes. Treat yourself. Fragrances. Treat yourself. Massages. Treat yourself. Mimosas. Treat yourself. Fine leather goods. Treat yourself. It's the best day of the year. The best day of the year! I am going to treat you to a solid episode today because I have a Buffalo Bills fan favorite on tap. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Friday, July 27, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, like I said, I have one of the more popular players to ever wear a Buffalo Bills uniform. Don Beebe will be my special guest, and you want to talk about a great person to talk to. Man, Don Beebe is as good as it gets, one of the nicest and smartest guys you'll meet. And I'm going to tell you what, young Buffalo Bills fans out there who didn't watch the Bills play during those Super Bowl years in the 90s, if you weren't a Don Beebe fan before, I highly, highly suspect you will be in roughly 40 minutes or so. We talk about Don playing with the Bills during those Super Bowl years, coming to the team as a rookie, his first impressions of Jim Kelly and some of those other guys, the devastating ankle injury that forced him to miss Super Bowl 25, and of course, the play in the Super Bowl two years later against Dallas that made him forever famous, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff, including, by the way, a rarely heard story of his draft process and how the guy ran a sub 4-3 in Indy with shoes that basically had a hole in them. (laughs) Lots of great stuff with Don coming up. I also have my buddy Joe pop in for our recurring The Running With Joe segment. Today we're talking BB memories, why so many people, and to be frank, including us, think that the 2018 Buffalo Bills may stink why the national people out there think the Bills may be actually the worst team in the NFL this year. And we also talk a little WWE and SummerSlam as well. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to beat around the bush with any more small talk. Let's just dive right into today's episode. Here's my interview with Don Beebe, followed immediately by The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today was a third-round pick of the Buffalo Bills in 1989 and went on to play in Buffalo for six years. During that time, he would play in four Super Bowls and become one of the most popular players during that golden era of Buffalo Bills football. He'd go on to end his career by finally winning a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. He was known during his time in the NFL for his speed and grit. Of course, I am talking about Bills fan favorite Don Beebe. 
What's going on, Don? Thanks for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be here. Oh, I'm really excited to have you. Real excited. Now, you have a book titled Six Rings from Nowhere. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to talk a little bit about your career, your trademark. You know, it's always been your speed. When did you know that you had the gift of being extremely fast? Was it, you know, being a little kid running around? Was it high school later on? When did it really click in for you just how fast you were? Well, I, first of all, to, uh, you know, because I got into a business that trains athletes. So, I mean, I get that question all the time, uh, especially when I started the business 20 years ago. In 20 years ago, nobody thought that you could actually increase a, an athlete's speed. Well, that's been proven false over the years because you can. Um, so, I, you know, I was ultimately could reach the 4-2 level in the 40-yard dash, which, you know, there's not many guys that have been able to do that right. so genetically. Genetically, I had a gift, and you know, and I knew that when I was very young, and I was always the fastest in the class. And but it wasn't until I got to really the upper high school collegiate level where I really started training, and I really felt like I went to a, another level in that you know, in that elite level of speed. So yes, genetically, I was born with speed, but I enhanced it through training. Okay. Now, when you joined the Buffalo Bills, obviously you'd go on to have a great relationship with Jim Kelly. What were your first impressions of Kelly all the way back when you first met him when you were a rookie in 1989? I imagine there was, you know, a large in life or with him and some some of the other players, you being a rookie and a young guy on the team. Yeah, you know, one thing about Jim is he kind of makes you feel like you're a part of the team really from day one. I mean, he's very approachable. He's a fun-loving guy. Uh, he was never one of those guys that you felt like you couldn't get close to or, or you know, as a rookie, you just like – I mean, he would converse with you. Uh, he'd make fun of you. Uh, and typically, from my experience, if a guy makes fun of you, he probably likes you. Um, so I, I hit it off with Jim right away. It was actually because of Jim Kelly that I got on the field so quick. And, you know, I'll make a quick story here. It was my rookie year. I didn't get to play in the first two games, and that was back when they were only playing two receiver sets, not the K-Gun yet. And, um, and going to the third game, uh, you know, Jim went to Marv Levy's office and says, listen, you know, I want BB on the field. So that Tuesday they cut Pr Chris Burkett because he was the number two guy. And I moved into the third guy, Flip Johnson went to the second guy. And then Andre Reed was number one at that time. And, and the first game I got to play in was in the Eastern Astrodome. And, be and I remember in the, uh, I was in the huddle and I was going to do this pass play. I was supposed to do a post corner. And as I was leaving the huddle, Jim looks out at me, he goes, BB, if Dishman, the cornerback, obviously from the Houston Oilers, mm -hmm. if he's pressed on you, just go by him. I'm throwing it to you deep. Well, so the first pass that ever went my way was a 63-yard bomb by Jim Kelly for a touchdown. And, and uh, it was just a great way to break into the NFL. And just, and just having the camaraderie with Jim that early in my career was, was really kind of cool. How hard was it to break into the NFL? I mean, you were a third-round pick. So it wasn't like you were some, you know, under-the-radar prospect. But, you know, you didn't go to a big school you go to a team that was not quite there, but you knew everyone knew that they were on their way up. You know what I mean? Being a third round pick, a rookie from a smaller school, going to a team with that type of character, you know, those cast of characters on the team. What was it like as a rookie? Was it a, a long adjustment for you or did you feel like you started to fit in pretty quickly? Well, I would say yes and no to that. The, the no part, I didn't feel like I fit in because the very first practice I ever went against, Nate Odoms was the first time I ever went against a defensive back in the NFL. And I came from Shattering State. Right. So nobody ever bump and run me out there. So the first time I ever got bump and run was against Nate Odoms. And at that time, he was top five in the league, you know, all pro guy. And 
he just abused me. I mean, it was embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> so I had to quit. I had to quickly learn that I better learn how to use hand to hand combat and get off the line of scrimmage or I was going to be out of a job very fast. And so I hired a martial art guy and, you know, and it changed my whole career. But, um, but so it was from that respect, no, but from the other respect, it was such a high quality of character guys and a fun loving bunch of guys. It was just, the chemistry was amazing. Uh, unlike I've ever seen in sports, um, myself or as a coach, and and right away during the course of that year, you could start to see the nucleus of that deal. And then we really came together, believe it or not, in that Cleveland playoff loss mm-hmm. in 89. And people started to realize, wow, we got something here. And then that's the next year we just started that cake on offense and we hit our stride and we started rolling. How much of it was media hype and how much of it was reality with the term the bickering bills? I mean, again, 89, you're a rookie you know, that's what the team was called at that time, the bickering bills. How much of that was a media creation as opposed to, you know, going at it at practice and every day and stuff like that? Well, first of all, it's a true statement. Okay. But here's, here's what they missed is this was a different type of bickering. This was a bickering of let's get better bickering. You know, let's everybody do their job and hold each other accountable bickering. Instead of, I want the ball, you're, you know, you're an idiot and, you know, pointing fingers type bickering. See, there's two different things there. Uh, so you see on some teams where you see a lot of, you know, disjointed people and, and characters in the game. And I can mention names, but, you know, I don't have to. We all know them. Right. That just are disruptive in, in the deal. So when Jim was getting on Howard Ballard and Thurman stepped in and then they were two arguing guys, those guys were brothers. I mean, they're still brothers. Right. I mean, they're closest of friends. So. It was it was like family bickering, let's say, close family bickering. So that was the difference. But yet it was bickering. Now, as a professional athlete, injuries happen all the time. So, you know, pretty much every, if you play in the league long enough, you're going to get hurt. How disappointing was it for you, you know, to get hurt towards the end of that 1990 season? You, uh, I believe you broke your ankle against Miami. It was, I think it was in December of that year. Yeah. And, you know, and you didn't get to yeah. play in the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl. How hard was it for you, you know, being a big part of that team that helped you know, you helped get him there to not be able to play because of injury. How hard was that for you? December 23rd, 1990. That's, I got it. Not to cut you off. <laughs> that's a bad day for both of us. Not to bring up bad memories for myself. My father died on that day. So I remember that oh. very, very well. Oh, but yes, sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, that's another story for another time. But yeah, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is too, Patrick, is, you know, you remember dates of, of great events or or just saddening events, sure. you know, like your dad dying and, you know, me break. I just remember laying on the field and I heard it pop and, and I was actually on my stomach, you know, and then I, I turned to my, go to my back and I turned with the broken leg going up in the air and my knee was up and my foot was on the turf, yeah. you know, 90 degree angle. So yeah. I knew it was, you know, I was my, I was done. You know, I mean, the initial thoughts is not just a season, my career is over. Right. I mean, it was a disheartening thing, but but the fans just kept saying they were screaming my name, B B B B, and I mean, it it, it it enabled me to get up into the cart. I I remember like I was holding my fist up and I said, you know, I was just telling the, the fans I was going to be back, you know. Um, but man, I tell you, just laying in the hospital, knowing the guys were going to make a run at it, and then they finally get to go the first time in Buffalo history, you know. And the fans were, I mean, it was just God, it was just awful. I mean, I got to be honest, it was terrible. And then the way we lost just amplified it. And it was just one of the hardest, hardest times of my life. But I, I learned a lot through that adversity, like 
like you should. You always learn through adversity, and I worked my butt off and came back and, you know, and had, had a great season the next year, won again. Sure did. And, of course, you know, two years later, that single play that you become most famous for, maybe not just, you know, outside of Buffalo, I'm talking about from a national NFL perspective, is for tracking down Leon Lett in Super Bowl 27, you know, just before he crosses the goal line in a blowout loss. Everyone always commends you, you know, for that hustle. And it's become, you know, a motivational point for coaches and stuff like that who could show that film. And rightfully so, too. I have to ask you this, though. Do you ever feel a little bit bad for Leon Lett because of that play? I mean, the guy was a pretty good player. You know, he had a pretty decent career. But, you know, just as you're known for that guy who hustled in a blowout loss and tracked him down, he'll always be known as the guy who, you know, took his eye off the prize and, and had the ball taken away from him at the goal line. You ever feel a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit bad for him in some ways? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say yes to that only in the respect that because I know him, I know him now personally, uh, you know, we're good friends and, and he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made a mistake. I mean, initially I will say, no, I didn't feel sorry for him because, you know, he, he, it was in within his control and he would say he's, he's, I mean, one thing about Leon is we, we both use the same play to, to teach people how to play sports. We just come from different avenues to get to the point. Right. Okay, what not to do and what to do. Okay, um, so but I, I will say uh, at at this point juncture of my life, I I do, I do feel bad, but yet it, you know he still had an opportunity to finish and and set a record for the most points ever scored, and that record actually would still be standing today with fifty nine. Sure, you know, do you at times do you wish sometimes you remembered for something different than that? Like for an example, I mean, you know. You had blazing speed. You went to four straight Super Bowls, five overall. You had 200 yards receiving in a game with Green Bay against San Francisco on a Monday night game in 96. You know what I mean? Are you happy mm-hmm. being most remembered for the Leon Lett play, or do you wish you were remembered for other things more? Oh, man, I tell you, I, I got to tell you, Patrick, I can't tell you the traction that that play has given me in my life. Mm-hmm. I, it, here we are 25 years later. We're still talking about it in interviews. I get a letter, at least one letter every day. I get some fan mail letter from somewhere in the country that sends me something about that play. Twenty-five years later, every day, and it, and I always tell people this: that in the my dream before that game, I went out an hour before the game, and I was in my cutoff, you know, my you know my game pants, shoes, and cutoff shirt, and and I I'm a faith I'm a faith guy and and I went and I just was kneeling down 50 yard line just praying as I you know and I, my whole prayer was just you know let me glorify your name today and not mine and initially I got up and I really Patrick thought I was going to score the touchdown to win the game like a JJ Jefferson in the back corner of the end zone one hand stab <laughs> toes in the corner and yeah. win it, you know with no time on the clock I mean that's how good I felt and and no I get I get this play called the Leon Let play. You know, I mean, 52 to you know, 17, we're getting killed. I mean, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. I, you watch my reaction. I'm ticked. I'm right. ticked. I, you know, I'm not happy. And, and the thing is, it didn't mean anything until I got back into the locker room and the owner came up to me, right to me. And, and Ralph Wilson said to me, he said, son, you showed me something today. He didn't call me Don. He didn't call me number 82. He said, son, you showed me something today. What everything Buffalo's about, you showed him. And that start to register. And then they wanted me down in the media room. And then I got back to one bills drive and the boxes. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of fan mail letters every single day coming in by the boxes. And, and so then it started really saying, wow, I've really impacted a lot of people here. And then sports illustrated wants to do an article. And then, 
and then just keeps going on. And here we are 25 and we're still talking about it. And I, and this is what I tell people is, is if I would have scored the touchdown that would have won the game, it would have not had no meaning whatsoever compared to Leon Lett. And here's why, because not many people, if any, many, okay, just a few that can put themselves in that kind of shoes that they could actually score that touchdown. Right. There's not many people that can say that, but everybody can relate to Leon Lett, not giving up. No matter what you do in life, you just can't give it up. You can't give up. You just got to keep going. And it's given me such a great platform, Patrick, to go around the country and speak to, to kids groups, to, to, to churches, to businesses. I go out to businesses and teach them, you know, what to, you know, just tell stories about never giving up. So I can't, I can't tell you what that place meant to me. Well, I'll tell you what, as a Bills fan in the 90s, I think that's testament that fans can pay to you is I vividly remember, and we'll talk about this in a minute too, when you finally did get that Super Bowl with Green Bay, Bills fans were thrilled for you. I'll never yeah. forget how happy Bills fans were that Don Beebe finally got that Super Bowl. You know what I mean? That's one of oh, my, yeah. that's one as a Bills fan, like I said, back in the 90s, that was one of my most proudest moments of being a Bills fan. What was it like for you? What was the best part about living in Buffalo for you as a professional football player? Well, let me just answer, let me just ask that question about winning a Super Bowl as a Packer. Is I remember I was a safety guy standing ten yards behind Favre when yep. he was taking a knee, and I was watching the clock go down and and right at the whistle, you know, and it goes off and and uh, I went up to Brett and he gave me the game ball and that was kind of a a cool moment. But I got to tell you, Patrick, my initial thoughts, <laughs> and I I really kind of felt guilty. Uh, and, and it's kind of kind of crazy to even think, and people think, wow, guilty, what are you talking about? You know, you just want a Super Bowl. Yeah. And the reason I felt that, I was like, man, I mean, all the other people in Buffalo, you know, Western New York and the organization, the fans and Ralph and, and Marv and Jim and, you know, all the guys, you know, why, why me? I mean, why me? There's a lot more people that were, you know, probably deserved a lot more than I did, you know, but so I kind of represented a lot of people. Sure did. And I can't tell you the letters that I got and phone calls that I got from from so many people. It was it was overwhelming and it was just kind of cool, but it was just it was just a neat thing to be able to win one. Yeah, in a Packer uniform, but man, I'll tell you, man, I was my thought and prayers were out with all the people back in Western New York. What was it about Buffalo that you liked so much living in the city, you know, when you played here yeah. in, as, with the Bills? Yeah, I'm a blue collar guy, man. I'm a I'm a simple man. I'm not really complex. I, I love the easy things in life, and that's Buffalo. You know, I mean, Buffalo, you, one thing about Buffalo is uh, when you go there, and as a player, um, it's not that anybody wants anything from you. It's what can we do for you. I mean, it's just an unselfish attitude that you don't see in bigger cities and in areas of, you know, other franchises. And I was just, just taken back, you know, um, you know, coming from Chicago area and then going to Buffalo, it was just a little different culture for me, but it was really, really neat. And I, I love Western New York. You guys had a lot of fun playing. And of course it became legendary, you know, the Jim Kelly parties after bills games, but there one or yeah. two of those that, you know, stand out. I'm not going to ask for specifics, but are there one or two parties that, you know, stand out to you from, you know, the Jim Kelly post game parties more than the others? <laughs> That like probably will be left unsaid for the rest of time. <laughs> well, well, what I what I can say is the uh, I loved playing pool and bocce, 
Mm-hmm. You know, so he had a billiards table in the basement, and then he had a bocce court out, out in the backyard. And so I loved competing and having fun with the guys and people there and, and the fans. And, you know, you just got to, it's, those were the, those were the times, the camaraderie that created great chemistry. And that's why we won. Um, and you got to commend our leader and Kelly opening up his house to people he didn't even know. Um, and that's what made it, it was, those were the times that made it fun. How different is media coverage, you know, on a professional football team today than say in the nineties when you guys played, especially like with Twitter, you know, I mean, it's no secret, you know, some of the guys on, on those bills teams that you played on, they like to party and have their fun. They're a little bit nuts. But, you know, back in the day, media coverage wasn't quite as intense as it is now on Twitter, where if you even sneeze, it's all over the place. You know what I mean? Do you think it would have been much harder for teams like yours or any team, not just the Bills, but any team during that era to be able to stay together and prosper the way it was if media coverage was the way it is now with Twitter and everything like that? Well, it certainly is a different game because of that. I mean, fantasy football has changed, changed the game, too. You know, it's just certain things that, you know, you had to just be a little bit more careful of what you say back in, back in our day. I mean, you, you didn't really have to, I mean, we hardly ever had in preseason, somebody come in and talk to us how to speak to the media. Well, now every team has somebody that comes in yeah. and this is how you speak to the media. This is how you got to be careful on Twitter and Facebook. I mean, everything. And it's crazy. You know, my son is, is in, you know, they, they start camp today with the Minnesota Vikings and, and my son's with the Vikings now, and you know, and I talk to him, and what goes on in in camp, and he's like, I mean, he's telling me all these people coming in, you know, and talking about financing and how to take care of yourself and be careful of this and that, and it's like, man, we never had that stuff. It's a different, if it's it's a different world in sports nowadays. There's no doubt. One of the coolest things about you as a football player, I think, is that you got a chance to play with both Jim Kelly and Brett Favre. You know, two of the best quarterbacks to ever do it. I'm not going to ask you the cliche question, you know, which one you think was better. You're not going to answer that anyway, and it's a, a dumb question. But I will ask you this. What do you think were, like, their biggest uh, similarities and differences between those two guys, two legendary yeah. Hall of Famers? Well, I do get that question a lot, and I'm glad you didn't ask because it is dumb. Because, it is dumb. You know, I agree. My, my answer is always, well, let's see. If you went into your garage and you had a Lamborghini and you had a you know, the, the highest-priced Rolls-Royce, which one would you drive that day? I mean, <laughs> like, come on. Uh, you know, the two first ballot Hall of Fame guys. I think the difference, the only difference, because their mentality was like linebacker playing quarterback mentality, mm-hmm. the very extremely two of the toughest men to ever play the game. I think the only thing that would separate was Jim was pretty much a, a pocket guy. You know, shotgun, uh, you know, under center. It didn't matter. He was pretty much a pocket guy, whereas Favre would make some plays a little bit more with his feet, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers. That would be the only difference in the two, but both big guns. I mean, that could throw it, you know, forever. Um, both fun-loving guys. You're in the huddle, and, it's a, you know, you wouldn't know that the guy was playing in the NFL game. You'd think you're in your backyard playing, you know, with the guys, and that's the way they were. You're obviously close to Jim. What were your thoughts on the ESPYs last week when Jim Kelly gave his, you know, Jimmy V speech. I don't know how you couldn't have a tear in your eye, you know. I mean, when you know the guy personally and what he's gone through. And, you know, I went back to his tournament again, uh, his golf tournament in early June, and got to sit with him for a while, just one-on-one in this in a room. And, you know, just he's just such a good guy. I, I will say this about Jim. I mean, he, and I don't say this because he's got cancer. I mean, I said this long before this. He's one of the most loyal, if not the most loyal human being I've ever met. If you ask Jim to do something, he'll he'll do it. And I don't know how he does it for everybody, but he but he gets it done. And um, 
And so I, you know, for example, I mean, I had a, you know, after I won the Super Bowl with the Packers, you know, one month later, I lost one of my best friends and, you know, cause he got hit by a drunk driver and he was shoved into the trunk of his car and he died. And, and, uh, and the first guy I called, cause I'm a put on, you know, he's got two boys, two years old and a two month old. And I wanted to raise some money cause he was a big education guy. He's a teacher, a high, you know, math teacher. And so I wanted to raise some money for their college fund one day. And so I put on this football camp and I did it within like a short period of time. And I called Jim first guy. I said, Jim, would you come, you know? And he said, Oh, Beavs. He said, I'm going to be in Florida at that time. You know, he says, you know, give me just a few minutes. Let me see what I can do. He calls me back at five minutes later. Wow. Says, Here's the deal. I'm going to fly back a day early to Buffalo. I'm going to catch the next flight out the next morning. And he was at the tournament, you know, he came or this camp. I had a one day camp, him, Reggie White and Desmond Howard were the only three guys I called. All three of them came. We raised 24 grand in, in one day and I put it on in like five weeks or four weeks, whatever it was, you know, went to the college fund, you know? So that's the kind of guy Jim Kelly is. That's amazing. Really is. What did you think of the 30 for 30 about the bills when it aired on ESPN? What was it about a year and a half or so ago? What were your thoughts watching yeah. that easy, hard, a little combination of both? Yeah, I think it was a little combination of both. Yeah. Uh, four falls from Buffalo was this, uh, first of all, I would say this, that was, it was really well done. Yeah. Michelle's I mean, brilliant. They really did. They did a great job of yes. portraying that team. And, and, uh, I just, you know, they, I had a blast. I mean, they came over to the house, they redid my whole house and they put it back together. Now I got to give them credit to the very pin on the, you know, pen on my table. <laughs> I was crazy. <laughs> um, so it was, it was professionally done. I think they told the story great and uh, brought back a lot of memories. That was, that was fun to do. Let's talk just for a couple minutes here about the current bills. How much, and I know you're a busy man, you know, you like, you got a lot going on. How much, if at all, are you able to keep up with the current Buffalo bills? Well, I get my last year. I, I came back. I think it was two or three games. Um, you know, I try to get back at least once, once a year. Um, but uh, yeah, no, for, you know, listen. Out of all sports and everything that I've been able to do and be a part of, as far as teams, I mean, I'm always going to be a Bills fan now. So I think they bring in this Allen guy. I think this guy's a stud. I think he reminds me a lot of Jim. I think he's the first quarterback since him uh, that can get the things done. He's got a huge arm. I think he's a good guy. Um, he's a blue-collar person, I believe. I, I think that this is the quarterback of the future of the Buffalo Bills, so I think that's a great pick. And as long as you got that guy, you got a chance. Now, it may take a year or two or three, but, um, but you, I think you finally got the right guy. What did it mean for someone like you, you know, someone who's so well-known and a, you know, a permanent part of the Buffalo Bills fabric, to finally see a 17-year playoff drought come to an end last year? You know, how hard... As a Bills guy, you know, you're a Bills guy, you're a Bills fan. How hard is it for 17 years to watch this team not make the playoffs? God, heart-wrenching. You know, because you know the, the Bills fans. I mean, it's just heart-wrenching. And, and I will say this, last year when I watched Woody in the locker room afterwards, you know, he's standing, he's got his kid in his arms, and they're watching the, the game, and they got to have, you know, I can't remember who they needed to win. I Cincy, can't remember it Cincy. now. Yeah, yeah, Cincinnati. To get into the, the playoffs, and then, and then they pull it off, and Woody's going nuts, and the locker room's going nuts. I mean, my whole family in the house here was going nuts. I mean, it was just, it was just a great moment, you know, to see them get back in the playoffs. So let's just hope that that continues. And, and then that, you know, golly, I just know this, man, if they ever get back, I know a lot of guys from, you know, that those four Super Bowls are going to, going to go to that Super Bowl and have a reunion and root those guys on and hopefully 
finally win one for Western New York and just have one big celebration. That would be great. What are your thoughts right now, you know, on this current Bills regime? Because they've went through a lot of staffs, you know, during this playoff draw, but it seems like they have more stability now. You know, McDermott is the head coach, Brandon being GM, Pagula's owning and stuff. This current coaching and management regime, you feel pretty good about them going forward? I do. I mean, I've lost a couple of linemen that I'm concerned with because my, for me, in building a team, you got to have O line first. That is absolutely the first position you must be solid at because if you don't have an O line, you you can't run, you can't throw to the best of your ability. And losing those two guys are just it's those are big shoes to fill. So um, we'll see we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's a big question mark. I think they got a pretty good defense. I think they got a you know the staff intact, and they certainly got the quarterback now who's young. So it, it, it's going to be interesting on offense this year to see to see what happens and see those two big sh- you know shoes to fill there uh, in those positions of line. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the big question mark going into the season. So nowadays, you know, you travel a lot, doing speaking engagements, all types of functions, and you also wrote a book titled Six Rings from Nowhere." What's that book about? What inspired you to do it? And where can fans go and grab themselves a copy? Well, they they can go to DonBeebe.com and, and get the book. And, 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 and honestly, Patrick, I never thought I was going to be a book guy. I mean, I, you know, as my career got, you know, it, it was crazy. I should have never played in the NFL. Let's, I'll just be honest with you. I was Doors opened, and I was very fortunate to get an opportunity um, to, you know, I only played two years of college football and won at an NAI Division II, one of the small schools in the nation at that time, Shadron State, and then be the team's first pick in the NFL uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a tremendous story. And, and that story is I've been approached by three different production companies that turned it into a movie. I haven't agreed to terms with anybody yet. Uh, I may one day, um, and it might become uh, a movie. Um, I, personally, I really don't, I don't, I don't care if it does. Um, I wrote a book because I just wanted to share the story. There's a lot of people out there that just give up way too soon. There's a lot of kids that want to be, you know, an athlete or a doctor or whatever it is. And if I can make it, anybody can make it. So I, I just stand on stages. I love to do it. I love going back to different functions, whatever it is. I got a speaking engagement tomorrow. Uh, that I got to do at a big uh, business uh, conference, and I just I just love telling the story, um, and I sign books after after I'm done. So it's what I do now. I'm also a coach. I love coaching, um, and I I coach at the high school level for 14 years. But I'm I'm going to take this year off, and I'm going to probably move to the college level next year, uh, coaching college football. So I I just love impacting people and kids and. And I'll do that until the day I die, Patrick. I got to ask you one more question. I should have asked you sure. this earlier too. And then we'll get to the mini lightning round to wrap up. I'm always fascinated when I have a, a former football player on the show by the draft process. And like I said, you went in the third round. It's not like you were a late round bloomer or anything like that, despite coming from a small school. But that actual draft process itself, what was that process like for you? And ultimately, how did it come about that the Bills drafted you? What was that, what was that moment like? How did that moment happen? Yeah. Well, for me, it's, it's quite different than the normal person. See, the normal person goes to Indianapolis and goes to the combine and then that's it. Or yeah. they may have a private workout at their university where all the teams will better be there or they won't get to see them perform. Me, 
Uh, how I got invited to the big show at Indy was a was a miracle from the Lord in itself. Okay, how the kid from Shattering going to get invited to that? That's, I mean, that's just crazy, right? Well, I got invited and I went and I I set a record in the forty. Me and Dion both ran a four two five that year. Nobody knows that, and that was told to me by actually Bill Polian and Tony Dungy told me that. I didn't know until five years after my career was over that I did oh, wow. that. You know, because back then media couldn't get in the dome, so nobody really knew. They posted, I think, four three something. On, on ESPN that night, but nobody knew really what the time was. Um, so that had to happen because if I go in there and run a four three nine or a four four, I mean, really, who's going to come to Shatter, right? Nobody. Right. Okay. But because I ran a four two five, that changed everybody's everybody's perspective. Not only that, Patrick. Many people don't know this, and this is why the story is so crazy. Is I ran that forty in my old ASIC fishing shoes from high school where my right sole was halfway unglued and I flopped every time I ran, every step I took. And that's the truth. Wow. That's the truth. So I didn't have an agent. I didn't know what an agent was. I was so naive. I mean, come on. I was just so crazy naive. Nobody told me anything, you know? So I just go there, you know, with a backpack and floppy fishing shoes. And, and I ran a 40 and four, two, five. And, and I had to do 20, I had to do 21 because there's only 28 teams at that time in 1988 or 89, mm-hmm. um, I did 21 personal workouts for 21 different teams. Wow. <laughs> so I was getting pulled out of class like every other day. It was great. But, um, but yeah, so I, and then, and then the draft came and, and, and honestly, I think I was so naive. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't nervous at all. I mean, people were telling me I would go anywhere from the second to the fourth round. And I was like, Really? Really? Okay, great. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just crazy. Did, did, so I sat on the couch with, I had 21 family members out from Chicago area. They came out to Shadron and we just sat in our one bedroom little uh, house that we had, me and my wife. And, and we just sit there and watch the deal. And then next thing you know, it was late in the day because I was a third round pick. So it was late that day. It's a little different back then than it is now. But, and, and I got a call from Coach Levy. And, uh, he said, you know, Don, just coach Levy, we just made you our first pick in the third round. And I was like, wow, what just happened? That was, that was, that was kind of cool. Did you get a sense? Did you get a sense ahead of time that the bills were interested in taking you or did they catch you by surprise? It was Buffalo. Uh, you know, I, I knew that I knew that there was, there was about four or five teams that were interested. I think the jets, and uh, there was one other team that were really, really high. I really thought New York Jets. Because Richie Kotai, the head coach at that time, actually came to Buffalo. And I mean, head coach. I mean, came, not to Buffalo. He came all the way to Shadron. Yeah. I mean, head coach gets on a plane and goes to Shadron. They're pretty serious. You know, so I thought it was going to be the Jets. Thank God that didn't happen. Thank right? you. I was going to say that, man. <laughs> God, I, I, we wouldn't be talking. I can promise you that right now. Yeah. So, but no, but I, I mean, I couldn't have picked a better team. I mean, I had no idea at that time, but I couldn't have picked a better team, a better city to play for. And if I was to do it all over again, man, I would stamp that, that, you know, approval stamp saying, let's go to Buffalo, you know? Um, cause I had the time in my life. You tell great stories. Let's end this with a little mini lightning round. I do this with every guest. I'm just going to ask you a handful of, you know, random questions, little football, little, just regular human interest stuff. No deep thought required. Just whatever pops out, that's your answer, right? Cool. Okay. All right. Who's the toughest corner you ever played against? Dale Carter. Gun to your head. You have to pick one. And I know it's almost impossible, but whatever. I'm asking you anyway. Who was your favorite teammate? Uh, Frank Wright. Nice. Okay. Why did you decide to wear number 82? Strangely, I always wonder about athletes and their number connections and choices. If there is one connection, why did you have 82? 
I was the 82nd pick in the draft. Okay. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Fishing with my family. What's your favorite city to visit? Wow. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, You've probably been all over. (laughs) I like going north. I like going north fishing on a lake up in northern Minnesota. Okay. Whatever the city that is. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite TV show? Favorite TV show uh, right now? Oh, man. Uh, I don't watch much TV. Shark Tank. Okay. What's your favorite sports movie ever? Boy, um, I like Miracle on Ice. Uh, um, I like Rocky. I, got, I worked out to Rocky when I was a kid a ton. Probably Rocky. Okay. Rocky won. Okay. Second last question here. If you had never played football in any capacity, what do you think you may have ended up doing with your life? I wanted to be a a DNR uh, fishing and game guy up in uh, Minnesota (laughs) or a fishing guide. (laughs) Okay. Last last question. That's (laughs) Wow. I never thought I'd hear that answer. I like it though. I like it a lot. Three dinner guests. Last question. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive. Who you got? Oh wow! And they have to be an athlete. They could be anyone in the world. Anybody in the world. Oh wow! Um, my the first one would be the Apostle Paul. Okay. Uh, second one, uh, Walter Payton. Okay. Uh, he's my sports hero, and. Uh, Probably, uh, oh, Babe Winkleman. Okay. All right, folks. Don <laughs> Beebe, former Bills great. Go to DonBeebe.com, grab his book. That was a lot of fun, Don. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. All right. You bet, Patrick. All right, it's a run-in with Joe. Haven't had him on in a while. Joe Buffalo wins on Twitter. Dude, I just had Don Beebe on the show. I know you like Don Beebe. You're a Don Beebe guy. You're a Bills guy from the 90s. What are your thoughts on Donnie being on the show? That's a good get for you, Pat. Uh, You know, Beebe was, you know, I went to his best game, or at least I think his best game as a Bill, which was that Steelers game in, in 1991. I was 11 years old, and that was the game that, Kelly had six touchdowns and four of them went to Don Beebe against the Steelers. And, uh, you know, he was fast, dude. I mean, that's what everyone will say. That's not breaking news. He was a really fast wide receiver. He was perfect, you know, for that offense because, you know, with the no huddle and the K gun, they needed like a speedster, a guy who can really stretch the field. And like Reed would always go underneath. And then you had Don Beebe over the top. And him and Lofton kind of did it together, but Lofton was only there for like three years, whereas Beebe was there, I think, for like five or six. But uh, yeah, man, he's, he's a, he, was a, he was definitely a fan favorite when I was a kid. Like, he was fast. <laughs> that's, that's all you can say about the guy. He's fast. <laughs> I agree. And I'll tell you what, man, for younger fans who didn't get to see the Bills play in the 90s, they're going to hear that interview, and they're going to know why he was a fan favorite. I'll tell you what, this is... Uh, episode 41 in this podcast so i've had 41 basically 41 interviews right now and that might have been my favorite one yet really well spoken great storyteller 
uh, has a great attitude towards life. He doesn't shy away from questions, you know, about the Leon Lett thing, how that kind of defined him. He embraces that, you know, it helped make him who he is and stuff like that. So I think for younger fans out there who really didn't get to see that team play and know them like you and I do, I think that they're going to see why this guy was one of the, uh, you know, one of the more popular players during that era. And I'll tell you what, and for everyone out there listening, Joe actually helped me throw together some questions. I've been a little pressed for time and Joe's really good at putting together questions for some of my guests. And I did ask him about being hurt in the Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl they went to. He got hurt December 23rd, 1990, broke his ankle against Miami. Didn't get to play in that Super Bowl. You could make a strong case that that team was one or two plays out there, you know, from winning that first Super Bowl. Don Beebe doesn't get hurt, man. Maybe things play out differently that game. You know what I'm saying? That's a great point, and I can tell you exactly why. Because Al, I hope I hope you don't have Al Edwards on your your podcast anytime soon. But <laughs> Al Edwards, it's not an intention the, of mine. No. Yeah, <laughs> he was the third wide receiver in that game, and he had zero catches. And I think he was a rookie at that point, so he was the third wide receiver, and they were going keg on that the whole time. BB would have been a lot better, you know, in that game than Al Edwards would have been. I mean, I'm not saying you know. If you, not to go off on a tangent, but that whole Super Bowl was ma- basically like the Giants were daring the Bills to pass the ball because they had like eight defensive backs and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, he, he BB was a much better player than Al Edwards was in that soup that in that Super Bowl. And again, you know, Al Edwards didn't have a catch, <laughs> and I think Kelly threw it to him like twice in that Super Bowl. Yeah, it's not a stretch at all to say you know things might have been different in that game. But anyway, that was a fun stroll down memory lane. Something that may not be fun, at least for, you know, the current day Bills, is training camps open. I mean, of course, that's fun. The team's coming off, you know, ending a 17-year playoff drought and all that. So let's be honest here. Now camp starts. Now it's time to actually get down to football. And I know that you're not a big fan of this roster right now. What are you thinking going into training camp? A completely unproven class at quarterback right now and a running back who's the best player on the team, but man... Let's be real here. We're not going to get into details. We're not going to pass judgment without knowing things that I'm sure will eventually come out. But, yo, we don't know if Shady's going to be here for very long, depending on how things play out with the justice system. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's it's a big kind of a cloud over that over the franchise when with the training camp coming with with his status. Um, here's the thing. For me to kind of predict the future, the present for the Bills, I think you have to go back to last year for a second. And I don't. I'm thrilled that the playoff drought's over. Like, I salute. Thank goodness it was an albatross over my our necks. It needed to end. Um, with that being said, it was a miracle. A miracle. And I'm not just talking about, like, Andy Dalton's, you know, Hail Mary pass to get them into the freaking playoffs. I'm talking about, if you look at the stats for last year, this team was, like, statistically... Across the board, they were average to poor in almost every category. Yeah. And the two things they did pretty well were forcing turnovers, the secondary, I guess you can put it kind of put it in there because they got interceptions, and the running game. Let me just say this with the secondary. The secondary played outstanding last year. But sometimes when it comes to forcing turnovers, there's a little bit of luck in there, like where you get a bunch of turnovers and then it kind of dries up a little bit. And a lot of times with turnovers, especially with the secondary, you need a pass rush. I don't think the pass rush is really there for the Bills, so I think the secondary could kind of stumble a little bit in that regards. 
with the running back situation, look, McCoy is out. Is he's the man? We all know that. But last year, if you look at the running game, it wasn't nearly as good as it was the, the two previous seasons. Uh, they have three new offensive linemen in there. I mean, they argue arguably they lost their three best offensive linemen last year in Glenn Wood and Incognito. And I'm kind of worried how that's gonna come here because you have a new system. You have Let's be let's be let's be frank. They downgraded at those three positions, in my opinion. I mean, in I mean, maybe not with Glenn, but like Jordan Mills. Come on, I mean, right now Jordan Mills is your anchor, is or not your anchor. He's your veteran as of yeah, right now. He's the longest tenured guy his, out there. Yep. I just don't have. There's nothing, and I, I I put this on Twitter a few days ago, maybe last week it was. Like, what exactly is it that the Bills do well? Because every time. Anyone says, oh, hey, I think the Bills are going to go 3-14 and 14, or 3-14. <laughs> They're going to play 17 games. But if they go 3-13 and 13 or 2-14, and 14, it's always the defense seems to be, well, you know, you were wrong last year. And I'm like, okay, you're right. I was wrong last year. So it was a lot of people. But, like, what is your reasoning for why you think they're going to be good this year? And there's not that many reasons, man. This roster, it's – it's not – it's still a work in progress for everything across the board. And I just – I feel like this offense – somehow the offense, which wasn't very good last year, I think they're going to regress. I think because of the offensive line concerns. I think with quarterback, you have a lot of inexperience back there. I do not, for the life of me, can name the three – the third, the fourth, the fifth wide receivers on this team. I always forget. I know it's Andre Holmes, I think, and that guy from the Jets maybe. But like <laughs> – Jeremy I just Trump. don't. Like, yeah. There's nothing. There's no, the only thing that you can maybe, and there's nothing to hang your head on. I'm sorry. The only thing you can do is kind of get into that. Well, we don't know about this guy. We don't. You're like Josh Allen can play well, or Peterman can play well because we don't have enough body of work for either of those guys. And the ball, the offensive corner, he can be a savant when it comes to designing run schemes and passing plays. But you know, other than that, man, it's just there's not. I don't know. There's just not them that much. They just lack a lot of talent in a lot of key areas for me. Well, I agree with you for the most part on the offense. I, the defense, eh, I don't think they're this elite defense in the making that a lot of people do. I do really like the secondary a lot. But, you know, you got a guy like Tremaine Edmonds. He's going to be a good player. Well, hopefully he's going to be a really good player. But he is a rookie. Can't expect him to be Ray Lewis as a rookie. You know what I mean? And I kind of agree with you about the pass rush. There's a lot to prove. Let's put it that way. And that includes Jerry Hughes, by the way. The offense, yeah, I think it's going to be a disaster this year. I really do. Those are part of the reasons why I kind of hope Josh Allen does get eased into this role. I don't want him to get beat up behind an offensive line that I think is garbage. Because I'll tell you what, man, we could spend all day talking about, you know, running back depth and the wide receivers and everything else. I've been saying it for months. I think the offensive line is the worst part of this team right now. I really do. I think whoever's back there is going to take a beating. I think Tyrod Taylor, you know, for all of his flaws and imperfections, he got, he got that offensive line out of a lot of crap last year with his legs. Made him look better. You know what I mean? So stuff like that. Let me ask you this, though. Here's the thing. National people are all picking the bills to go, you know, 2-14, and 3-13, and 4-12, whatever. The quickest way to draw the ire of Bills fans and get trolled on Twitter is to say the Bills are going to stink this year. I don't want the Bills to be 4-12 and 12 this year. You know what I mean? I want them to be good. I just don't see it this year. But it's tough to have that stance, and I'm sure you understand this, in July when you're just going to training camp and you're coming off a 17-year drought to declare in July that this team is not going to be good this year. And I do like the future of this team. I just I agree with you when you say there's just not a lot here right now that really makes me like this team 
and their chances to even be not, I don't even want to say better than last year, but even as good as they were last year. I'll say this about last year and then like the, the playoff drought. What if the Bills, there was not a drought? What if they were like the Texans and they made the playoffs every like three or four years and they got beat? Like, mm-hmm. you know, for the last, you know, how would your perception of this team be right now if they made it last year? I think that's a big thing. Like that drought kind of maybe plays a little tricks on you about how good they came or or what the case may be. I think the biggest reason why they made the playoffs last year, and I don't think it's going to be the case as much this year, the AFC was not good last year at all. It was a ter- it was a terrible terrible conference. And this year, you got Andrew Luck coming back, maybe, and then you got Deshaun you got Deshaun Watson back and pa- you know, and guys- Mahomes. Mahomes is ready to go in Kansas City. He's an exciting right. young player. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, and that's and I think that's it was one of those years. Like I said, it's when I can tell you through the drought teams that I was like, wow, how did they get into the, the playoffs? Like I, I always think back to like the AFC or the NFC West from like the the 2000s when like it was Arizona and Seattle making it and it was kind of like they weren't really that good and then you had like Tim Tebow make it with Denver when they were 8 and 8 and then you have like Houston sometimes makes it in and like you would be like that should be us there and then like it happened and the reason why it happened was because the conference was down and we were like those teams that, that was like yeah you you probably weren't you probably shouldn't have made it but you made it because everything around you wasn't very good and that's that's kind of you know how I feel. I just think overall they have a lot of there's a lot of moving parts happening right now, man. And you said it and you said it earlier with Josh Allen. Like I'm not in a rush to get him on the field. I'm a big, big, huge proponent of like having ta- t- you want to surround your quarterback with talent, especially if he's a rookie quarterback, because it helps him adapt to it. I've seen quarterbacks throughout like you know years of watching who get thrown into the fire and they got like a lot of garbage around them and it affects them alex smith is the prime example of that alex smith when he was in san fran for seven years was horrible because they had zero talent around him and then what happens he gets good coaching he gets talent around him he's a lot better you know and that's where that's where it's like take your time you know either you know it's, it's up to them i'll say this and i'll articulate this the best way possible if they play Josh Allen because Josh Allen is better than Nathan Peterman and he's better than A.J. McCarron, that's wrong. They need to play him because he's NFL ready, okay? Because that's not the bar you want, okay? A lot of, like, those those guys are, no offense, they're not very good. They're probably not going to be very good. And I want, I want Josh Allen out there because he's NFL ready for a rookie quarterback. Like, he's ready to play. That's what I want. Not because... Well, geez, like, look at the, the quarterbacks. They're terrible right now. You know, because it has to be, the, the the bar has to be the NFL level for him. I'll tell you this much. We could talk about, you know, the national predictions for the Buffalo Bills from here to eternity. I think it comes down to one thing, and it's really as simple as this. It's because they drafted Josh Allen. I guarantee you, if the Buffalo Bills took Baker Mayfield, or if they took Darnold, or maybe even if they took Rosen, I can almost guarantee you that, you know, even with the offensive line to have the receivers, you know, the, the young linebackers, anything else you want to say, if they had a different quarterback, I think that people would not be predicting the Bills to be one of the two, you know, two or three worst teams in the NFL this year. In fact, I'd be willing to guarantee it. I think more than anything, and don't get me wrong, you've made a lot of points about this entire roster. People who are in Buffalo, they know that it goes far deeper than just quarterback. 
you know, the, the, the problems with this team right now, or not, I shouldn't say that the problems that we anticipate this team having this year, but at the end of the day, from a national perspective, I think it's because a lot of people simply did not like Josh Allen. They did not think that he was one of the top two or even three best quarterbacks in this draft. And because the bills took him and did not expect anything from him for a year or two, I think that's the single biggest reason why people are predicting that the bills are only going to win three or four games this year. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Like when terms of, cause obviously we know Josh, you know, Allen has gotten a lot of heat from a lot of experts. I will say though, like with national guys, it, it's weird. It's kind of like, I feel like ESPN analysts, like I'm going back to like when the draft happened and like, you know, Kuiper and McShay and, um, Oh, the guy on NFL Network, uh, Mayock, whatever his name is. They really liked Josh Allen. Like the national, those guys yeah. liked Josh Allen. It felt like the people who were more like football outsiders, pro football focus, like those guys, kind of like the indie promotion. We'll just call them. We'll, we'll always we always make it about wrestling. Uh, the indie promotion guys with their with websites and kind of like that. They were the ones that haven't been big on him. Uh, but that's a good point. I mean, I, maybe if they would have gotten Josh Rosen, even. You know, and he was more of a a safe prospect, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, playing in, a, in an elite conference and having more starts and his stats being better. Maybe it would have been better. I mean, it's a it's a good point. I think um, it's so interesting to see what happens with Josh Allen, man, because I've never you know, I, you and I have been watching football for, you know, 30 years. Basically, I cannot remember a rookie being this scrutinized coming into the to, into the Bills for or any player like that ever like. Usually everyone loves any guy that gets picked in the first round. Like EJ Manuel was got more respect like coming to us. I've never seen anything like that before. It's it's going to be the ultimate cold take quarterback where a year from now, you know, a year from now or maybe like sooner we're going to go we're going to like find old tweets of like me people saying, "Oh, he's terrible" or and then laughing at them or saying, "Oh, he's good" and still laughing at them or whatever the case may be. Just basically like it, there is so much vitriol out there for him, and and as I said, a lot of people that I you know I'm friends with and like watch football, watch college get football, you know they are not high on him. So I'm kind of like eh, I'm not, I'm feeling a little queasy about it. You know what I mean? And uh, you know we'll see what happens. Well, I'm again, I, and I want to be clear on this. I'm not suggesting that Josh Allen is going to be worse than any or all those quarterbacks that I said. I'm just talking about from a national perspective. I think that's the biggest reason why the Bills. Josh Allen might turn out to be better than any of those quarterbacks. In fact, when I had Don on earlier, he was talking about how he considers, uh, you know, Josh Allen the type of quarterback, a lot of similarities physically and stuff to the way Jim Kelly was. So that, you know, obviously we got to let things play out with that. But I think me personally, I think that's the biggest reason why so many people are picking the Bills to have you know, only two, three, four wins this year. Let me ask you one more question and then we'll start to wind this down and get out of here. Name me one team just for fun right now. And, you know, obviously New England's going to be the favorite to win the AFC as they should be. Name me a team out there as we start training camp right now where I could go back seven months from now, replay this segment. Name me the team that you think has the best chance to knock off the New England Patriots in the AFC this year. In the AFC this year? Man, I would say, man, I, I would I would have to go with maybe like Denver, maybe I would say because they got a good defense. You know, Case Keenum did pretty well last year, and they got weapons. Um, I would say maybe Denver has you're, a really dude. You're Mar- You are literally saying the same thing that Josina Anderson said too. 
She likes Denver as well. She thinks that Denver's that team with the defense of the running game, Bradley Chubb they drafted, and Case Keenum coming there this year. Something to prove. Felt like he got wronged by Minnesota. That's surprising. I never thought of Denver. Now that's two straight interviews I've done where the person I was talking to really likes Denver as that team, which would be a big upset because, I mean, they kind of stunk last year. You know, to come in yeah. and knock off the New England, that would be a that'd be a pretty big deal. Yo, and, and then you still got Pittsburgh, too. I, I think if you want to really replay this later in seven months, I think I'm, I'm calling it right now. Super Bowl is going to be the Patriots and Vikings. That's my Super Bowl pick if anyone wants to go to Vegas and bet on that. <laughs> One more thing, dude, and then I'm going to let you go. Joe, Buffalo wins on Twitter. Listen, man, you know I'm a wrestling guy. I know you're a wrestling guy. I've been watching it my whole life. I have not been watching it for the past three, four weeks. Tried to watch a little bit of it this past Monday. Just can't do it. Give me something to sell me on wanting to go back and start watching WWE again because I cannot stomach it right now. Not to mention Roman Reigns. Of course, he's going to SummerSlam and he's going to take the belt from Brock. Give me something to like, a reason that I should start getting back into wrestling. Gosh, man. I, I, I like Ronda Rousey. I think that's pretty cool. Okay, I'll the, give you that. That's good. Um, I would say watch NXT. NXT has a ton of talent right now. Like, it is it is like euphoria right now with what they got over there with uh, Ciampa and Gargano. And they got Ricochet and Ethan Carter and, and Keith Lee, who you don't probably know who that is. I have seen him on, like, the indies in Evolve. He's a big dude, and he's 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 like he looks he's kind of got like the size of Mark Henry, but he's mobile and he can he can cut rock like promos. I he's he's gonna debut there soon. Like he was in the crowd at the last NXT Takeover. That's what you should watch. Um, <laughs> the that's it, man. I mean, it's Roman. It's 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 incredulous to me. Can I give you? An, let me give you an unpopular opinion. This probably isn't popular. You know, Monday night it's announced the the evolution, the all women's pay per view. I don't care. Doesn't do anything for uh-huh. me. I don't care. Might be making history. I get that. I don't care. I don't care. I love women's wrestling. You know that. But three hours of it, nothing. But I get the historical fashion for it. Besides that, I really don't care. Oh my goodness! I, I, I the the, the running is over. Not no. I'm just. I mean. I think it's going to be fun. I mean, they're going to have all. It's going to be every woman like from NXT Raw. Didn't we just add that with the Women's World Rumble, though? All the Hall of Famers coming back? Yeah, and I thought thought that was pretty cool. It's going to be some good matches. It was cool, but it it happened already. So it's going to lose a lot of its luster to be. I don't know. I, I maybe I'm just being yeah, a but that's, that, that's a Royal rumble. This is, these are single match dude. And you can bring back, they can bring back like, Hey, bring back Trish, Trish Stratus and maybe have her go against like Alexa bliss or something. Do you, you think know, that's going like, to happen? Stuff like that. Do you think these women, some of these oh, are yeah, going to come back and have full matches? Back, I, All right. Well, that totally, intrigues me more than I totally. I mean, Trish Stratus was in the Royal rumble and so was Lita. I would not, it wouldn't shock me if they bring some people back, you know, and maybe do like a tag team match you know, kind of like a, a special attraction. I think it's going to be cool. It's different, at least. Like, you know, it's better than Roman Reigns getting thrown down my throat for the 500th time. I will say this real quick, and I was thinking about this. And it, you know, we, you and I both, we try to correlate wrestling with football or anything. Roman Reigns, to me, is like the Josh Allen of the NFL. And I'm going to tell you why. Oh, you and God. I, it, yes, because listen. Vince McMahon, we all know, he loves big dudes. That's his thing. He wants, like, he's all about the physique, man. That is his thing, and that's Roman Reigns. Josh Allen is like the 
What's the best thing about Josh Allen coming out and what scouts drool over? His arm strength. Arm strength, physique. That's what. That's probably what the Bills love the most about him. Like, look at his arm strength. Look at his arm strength. But he's not accurate, and he he wasn't good in he wasn't good in college. Really, it doesn't matter. Look at the arm strength. That's Roman Reigns and Vince right now. Vince Roman can't cut promos. Really, the fans hate him. I don't care. Look at his physique. That right there. I'm, I just made that parallel. Josh Allen, Roman Reigns, in terms of like what people loved about Roman and Josh, in terms of it. Vince McMahon is. That's exactly how it is, man. I'm going to leave you with this nugget. And I'm sure we're going to talk again on here before SummerSlam next month. But I'm going to leave you with this nugget. I'm going to predict right now how SummerSlam ends. We all know Roman Reigns is going to wrestle Brock. We all know it's in Brooklyn. We all know Brooklyn is going to take a huge crap all over that, literally from the opening bell. I think even Vince knows that. There's nothing he could do to stop that. So here's what I think is going to happen. They introduce, they get the introductions. They're booing already. The fans are going nuts. And just as they're about to lock up, Braun Strowman's coming out. He's going to cash in right before the match starts. And it's going to become a triple threat. And Braun's going to leave SummerSlam with the belt. That's my prediction. It's not going to be a last second cash in. He's going to cash in right before the match starts because Vince and Triple H have to know that the fans are just not going to allow Brock versus Roman one-on-one with Roman beating him clean to to close the show. It's just not going to happen. So I say Braun comes out, cashes in just as that match starts, and it becomes a triple threat. Give me a bold prediction, and then we're getting the hell out of here. That's a very good prediction. Um, I am going to no, I'm not. I'm not. It's, it's going to be Roman. Roman is taking it home. It is. They have been doing this forever. They don't care. They're going to lower the. They're going to lower the tr- crowd chance, so we can't hear it on on uh, the WWE network. They're going to pipe in like cheers, like Hulk Hogan theme music, probably. And Vince is going to be like, ah, who cares about those marks? I'm, this is going to be Roman Reigns' coronation. This is if they if they are worried about the booing, then just do Braun versus Brock. Okay, that's what they should have done instead of instead of uh, the you know the ladder match or the Money in the Bank thing. Okay, they are they are doing this, dude. They are doing this. They fed Bobby Lashley. They fed him to Roman, so Roman can go in there and beat Brock, and then that's that. You know, it's uh, that's my prediction. And I also think I'm predicting that Cena is going to go against Bobby Lashley at SummerSlam. No inside knowledge. That is my prediction right there, too. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. Big thank you once again to Don Beebe for taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down and do this podcast with me. Big thank you to Joe from Buffalo Winds as well for doing our Running With Joe segment. I like doing that. We're going to start doing a lot more of that on this podcast. Coming up next week, I don't want to say names yet, but take my word for it. I have two intriguing Buffalo sports media related guests. You're definitely going to want to hear from them. You'll enjoy that. Trust me. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You just click that subscribe button and every new episode automatically gets sent to your phone or to your laptop. It's as simple as that. If you don't have access to iTunes, you can also catch this podcast on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere where future award-winning podcasts are heard. If you're not doing so already... 
please follow me on Twitter at Pamarant Tweets. Again, that'll do it for this episode. Have yourself a nice, safe weekend, and I'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday. Peace out.